Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these your faithful gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I had a FaceTime call with my sister Kay this week. One of the things I've always loved about my family has been our ability to laugh at ourselves. I think it's a coping mechanism, actually. When my mom and dad were getting old, um, they laughed and laughed about the fact that my Papa Hutt couldn't hear and Mama Joe couldn't see, and so they needed each other to drive anywhere. <laughs> so on our call, Kay and I laughed and laughed and laughed. Oh, my, did we laugh. She said she saw this picture of Mama Joe sitting at the computer, and then she realized that she had the exact same jowls and the exact same waddle as Mama Joe. Yeah, I do too. And so do you, Sue, if you're online. We got the Hudson jowls and we got the Hudson waddle. And we just laughed and laughed about that because, you know, sometimes laughing is all you can do. It's all you can do, isn't it? Well, you know, I, I want to say that I read this New York Times article this week. It was entitled, Too Young to Feel So Old. Look at everybody nodding. Yeah. Steve Kurutz wrote, after nearly two years spent in a computer crouch, my favorite sweater and I have gone fuzzy. <laughs> I was 43 when the pandemic began. I am now 60. <laughs> An article published last month in the scientific journal Nature suggested that the pandemic has accelerated the aging process. Not only for the millions who have contracted the virus, but also for those affected by the upheaval and isolation of remote life. Some have noted wrinkled skin, graying hair, creaky joints, and a chronic blah feeling described as languishing. I wondered why my hair had suddenly gotten so gray. And now, now I know, I know what has happened. Yes, let us confess that we have been languishing. Oh, it's not just that we haven't had a good day. We've probably had lots of good days. You know, we've had lots and lots and lots of good days. It's just that, well, the pandemic and the unceasing, the unceasing announcements of variants. It's the frantic talk of wars and rumors of war. It's the never-ending political strife and the PTSD we have from Snowmageddon. Every time the temperature drops below freezing, we all get a little anxious. And the continual news about glo global climate change. And that doesn't include our day-to-day -day challenges of just living. Living. What seems the inability to just get things done. When did life get so hard? It is the rising fear in our bellies, in our hearts, 
in our souls that things are not going to be okay. So let me ask you something. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for something better than this? Well, I want to share with you that I believe the prophet Isaiah has finger on this, has something to tell us about the kind of life we're in the midst of and the kind of life that God promises to us. So one of the greatest First Testament scholars of our day is Reverend Dr. Walter Brueggemann, who, by the way, is an ordained United Church of Christ pastor. And I love reading Brueggemann's work because he always just opened the door for me to better understand what is happening in the First Testament scriptures. Inevitably, I remember sitting at a general synod years ago and he did this lecture on Solomon and the building of the great temple. And as he spoke, I, I thought, oh my God, my head is going to explode. He is just that good. He, he brings in things that most people never see. And so what I'm going to talk to you about is some of the things I learned from him as I thought about and read about and studied the scripture. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the book of Isaiah and how long it is, how really, really long it is, and how scholars believe that there are more than one author. The verses we heard a couple of weeks ago were from 1st Isaiah, and what we hear today is from 2nd Isaiah. We hear a lyrical poem, actually, a poem that a new king, Cyrus of Persia, has ascended to the throne of Babylon, the country that had conquered Israel, and where all the elites of Jerusalem had been exiled to, but that this king will offer favor to Israel and the invitation to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the holy city. This is good news for the people of Israel. Beginning in chapter 40, the prophet speaks in God's voice. Now, I remind you that in the ancient in the time of the pro ancient prophets, the prophets had two distinct responsibilities. One was to speak to God on behalf of the people. And the other was to speak to the people on behalf of God, whether it was good news or bad news. The job description of the prophet also contains, among those less than coveted tasks of giving the bad news, the ability to speak life-giving word, a life-giving word of hope, when all the events of creation seem to point to something else, to the contrary. Now, lest you think that things were good for the Israelites, think again. These verses are addressed to those elite Israelites who had been forcibly deport, deported to Babylon when Jerusalem had been destroyed. While these deported elites yearned for a, turn, a, a return to Jerusalem, well, you know, it wasn't so bad there. They figured they could, you know, get in bed a little bit with those 
Babylonians. I mean, after all, they were living there and, and working there, so, so they figured they could do the bidding of the Babylonians. They could participate in the opportunities and requirements of the imperial order. But by doing so, they inevitably um, diminished their distinctive Jewish identity. It was an uneasy balancing act for them to participate in the dominating economy and to practice their own faith identity. Well, that might be true for us too, right? For us to participate in the prevailing culture and yet to keep our faith identity, to keep our hope alive, to hear the promises of God over the din of everything else that is happening. The message of Isaiah is that he wants his Jewish listeners to heed his call to re-embrace their distinctive identity and retreat from the commitment to empire. The prophet speaking in God's voice calls his listeners to make a choice. God offers them an option of a generous, self-giving God, Yahweh, God of the covenant. God had in times past given Israel manna, bread, and water in the wilderness. And now God, through the voice of the prophet, is going to give the people all they need for life, free water, free milk, free wine, <laughs> all the gifts of God. But receiving these gifts require a choice. Sometimes the choices are hard. You see, in the imperial economy, the reality was that they were working in jobs that were not satisfying, not fulfilling. They were buying consumer goods that had no sustaining value. It was a dead end for them. And it led to fatigue and disappointment and despair. And the prophet says God has an alternative. God has an alternative way. Wow. Now, some of the verses 6 and 7 in particular sound like a call to worship. But in reality, it's a call to sanity. This is what the prophet is trying to get to them. It is a call to regain their sanity. To return to Yahweh is to depart from the Babylonian empire and way of being in the world and instead enter into the covenantal values that God offers. Now, it takes no deep imagination, I think, to see that the prophet, speaking with God's voice, continues a powerful summons for us today. Make a choice. Live in the frantic, frenetic, overwhelming waves that continue to hit us or choose something else. Our culture to which we are now unceasingly exposed is either to be very afraid and angry at God 
and everyone and everything else or to have confidence in Yahweh's ability through our own reconnection to God, our own reconnection to creation, our own reconnection to others to restore us to well-being. The choice to which God calls us is a choice for covenantal life that allows for a purpose, a purpose that is grounded in a holy claim. And the holy claim recognizes that there are neighbors who are entitled to generosity. The holy claim knows that healthy social relationships depend on generous hospitality. The holy claim is that large acts of forgiveness are in order. Large acts of forgiveness are in order that include the cancellation of debts for the poor. Just this week, just this week, the United Church of Christ announced that it has now, oh, i got to get back here so I can get the statistics. <laughs> announced the purchasing of $67.6 million in medical debt that has been erased. Wow. Do you hear that? To a partnership with the New York-based nonprofit Rest in Peace Medical Debt, the church has bought up debt for pennies on the dollar in every one of the UCC's six geographical regions. Nine conferences, five UCC partners, more than 800 Giving Tuesday donors, and the national setting have come together to abolish medical debt for, listen to it, listen to it, 51,720 people around the country. Amen. This is what can happen when we make the choice the good news is that the reality of God creates alternatives for us in real time. I went on a, uh, <laughs> y'all can just laugh out loud about this. <laughs> I went on a contemplative weekend retreat last weekend. Now, you know me, that contemplation thing, very scary. It was life transforming for me. I spent a Thursday and then all day, Thursday afternoon, evening, all day Friday, all day Saturday, learning some things that I thought I already knew. And the scales fell from my eyes. My dear friend and mentor and colleague, Reverend Joe Stabile, who entered a monastery, at, uh, the Vincentian Order, at the age of 14 and stayed until he was 40. Had so much to teach us. It was all about the practice, not just sitting quietly, although that was part of it, but also practicing slowing down, making room for God in our daily lives, listening for God, listening to God. We learn the practices of the great Abrahamic faiths, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And then we learn that Henry Nouwen, the great Catholic priest, said that there are three essential practices we all need. We need the book, which is listening to God through the scriptures. We need meditation, which is listening for and with God. And we need prayer, which is speaking to and listening to God. We're getting ready to begin the season of Lent in a couple of weeks, well, week and a half. 
and we get to make a choice. And maybe, maybe it's a choice and maybe it's a practice. You, and, and here's a great thing, you don't have to do it all. You can just do one thing and it will transform you. If, if we wanna encounter the mystery of God, if we wanna encounter the holiness of God, we've gotta make room for it to happen. And that's the choice we have to make. I returned from my uh, retreat So um, my inboxes, they're the bad news for me. And I have now unsubscribed for over probably 30 or more organizations and newsletters that I was subscribed to. And I'm still at work at it. And all of a sudden, it's like time has opened up for me. Space has begun to open up for me. I am breathing better. That's just one thing. Pick one thing. Just one thing. And you know what? It wasn't that hard. Delete, delete, <laughs> delete, delete. And now, I don't even remember what I was looking at all the time. Are you thirsty? Come to the waters. Seek God who may be found. Call upon God the Holy One who wants to give you life. A brilliant, a brilliant life. And when all that fear rises in you, which it is bound to have come and happen, breathe deeply of God because God you see is calling you and calling me God is calling us to awaken and say why not to each and every almost impossible thing why not live the rest of our lives in wild hope and reckless wonder amen amen, amen. amen.